Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Today, I want to, as you see, we've got the communion in the front, and um, that's what we're going to want to preach on today. I really feel um, stirred to bring a message on is communion, and at the end, we'll all take it together. But really, on what communion means, um, what it is all about, and what it means for us today as well. And what it represents. You know, communion is, is seen throughout all of the Bible. It is, it is the message of Jesus that is delivered from the very beginning. And it runs through the whole Bible and it culminates when Christ came down to earth. And to lay down his own life for us. And that gospel message is even at the beginning. You see in, in Genesis 3 in the garden. And I'll, I'll read this for you. You don't have to turn there. We're going to go through a few scriptures today. And when Adam and Eve sin in the garden and God sees that they've sinned and they've been tempted by, by Satan in the garden who was the serpent and God brings the first ever gospel message. And he says in Genesis 3.15, he says to, the, to Satan, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, with a capital S, speaking of Jesus. And it says here, it says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This speaks of the gospel message that some people will say that Jesus was a last-minute plan that God had to conjure up at the very end to, to save us, or that he was a last resort, but the Bible says that Jesus was the plan from the beginning, that God prepared the groundwork from in the garden, that this wasn't a a last-ditch plan. This wasn't last-chance saloon for us. This was the way that God ordained from the very beginning. And you see there that God even declares how Jesus will win it. He says that you will bruise, or some say, some translations say, you, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel, speaking of the fact that how Jesus will defeat the devil will be through his own bruising. That the devil will bruise Jesus and through that Jesus will crush his head. And this speaks of the gospel message. It speaks of how Jesus will win us, how Jesus will restore us. The very enmity, the very separation that we had from God when sin arrived, now we find the way through Jesus laying down his own life for us. And this is the, the Jesus that we worship. This is the, the one who comes, the Son of God, who lays down his life in our, for our sake that we may take it up, that we may be alive, and we may be reconciled with God. You see that ever since sin came into the world, there was a necessity for a restoration. You know, sometimes we will talk about forgiveness and, and repentance, but there, if there is, without the blood, without any actual offering for sin, there is no power in just your words, it is what those words are on. When we come before God, it is not just when we say sorry, God just pardons it, but it's because we come through Jesus and what he has done. And it's through that we find forgiveness. You know, if you have any judge today and they, someone goes to court for a big wrongdoing that they've done, if, if the judge at the end, and they just said, oh, I'm sorry for it, and the judge said, don't worry about it, all done, there would be a great uproar because there'd be a great injustice. And God is a holy and a just God. And, and the scripture says that no wickedness can live with him. 
You know, the, the fact that Jesus had to come and take our place, this was a big deal for God. This wasn't because God didn't like us or didn't want us. It's because God couldn't live with iniquity. He couldn't live with sin. That as soon as sin came, separation between God and man was there. And that Jesus had to come to restore it. And this is why it is essential that we, that of communion, but of what Jesus did at the cross. It is absolutely essential for the Christian life. And then there is the question, how can we be made pure and right with God? How can we, in, in everything that we do, in all that we are, how can we stand before God as righteous, as, as pure as whole, where we can be before God and not, and not die because he is so holy and then we are not? How can we even stand before him? And God orchestrates this even through Moses in the Old Testament. He says it's through the offering of blood. It's through a sin offering. And that comes with Jesus later. But you read even in Leviticus 16. If you want to turn there real quick, I'll just read a couple of verses. And this is God ordaining with Moses the old, the old covenant, as we call it, but the, the covenant through, that was a, as a shadow and a type of things to come, which would be Jesus. But this covenant where God had to, there had to be a payment for our sin. There had to be something that would cleanse us and restore us while we're on this earth before Jesus could come. And it says here, Leviticus 16, verses 8 to 10. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. This is a type of Christ. That Jesus actually came as both in this sense. He was both the sin offering that had to die before the Lord, and was also made the scapegoat. The scapegoat means the one where all the blame is put upon, and then, is, then is, has to flee from them, has to, be, has to be removed, has to be exiled. That's why when Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was made the scapegoat from God. He was God's presence and God's nearness to Jesus had to be separated when he took on sin. And not only that, that Jesus himself was then separated from man. That's why it says in John 1 and Isaiah 53, it says that he was despised and rejected by men. That Jesus not only came as the sin offering, but he came as the great scapegoat. That he took all of our punishment, he took all of the wrath of God and from mankind was put upon him. And he, he was the one that made a way. It says in Leviticus 17, we don't have to go there, but the next chapter it says that it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. You know, from the beginning it, has, it requires blood. That it's through the blood, and today it's through the blood of Jesus that makes atonement for us. It's not through anything else. It's not through your prayer life. It's not through your church commitment. It's not through how good you are. It's through the blood that you have atonement. And that word atonement means to make pure. It literally means to, to right that which is wrong. That which is wrong is to make it right. And then it's through Jesus and the blood of Jesus that we have atonement today. You even then read about the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament, where Cain kills Abel. Abel offers a more righteous sacrifice to God. Cain, filled with jealousy and wrath, kills his own brother. And then God, coming down, speaking with Cain, he asks, where is Abel? And then he said, when Abel 
kind of dismisses God. He, he says, the blood of Abel cries out to me. The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. Speaking that the blood is, is a, a significant thing for the Lord. And that the blood, that this sin, this great wickedness was, was speaking out that God could hear the wickedness. And today we have the wonderful promise through Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, it says that the blood of Jesus now speaks a better word. That the blood of that the sin that we once had, the, the everything that separated us from God, everything that, that would make us enemies of God, the scripture said, it says now the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. That when we come before God, it's not on our own account. We're not our own attorney. We're not, we're not our own lawyer. We're not the only our one that we have to justify ourselves, but we come purely in the fullness of Christ, and it's through him that we are right with God. And now it speaks a better word, what Jesus has done than anything we could have done before. And this is why it is absolutely essential that Christ came. There are so many other things in the Old Testament that is pointing to and preparing the way for Jesus to come. That God mandated this from the beginning and all through time, all through scripture, from generation to generation, we are, it is preparing the way for, God, for Jesus to come, God the Son. And that's why it was essential. It says in Luke 24, after Jesus had ascended, he said to his disciples, he said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead. That it was absolutely essential what Jesus had to go through. This wasn't a minor thing. There was no other way. That's why Jesus said in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, if there's any other way, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done. That this was the only way we could be made right with God, that we could have eternal life with the Lord Jesus. And this is what communion represents. Communion represents what Jesus went to at the cross. This is a, a powerful and a living thing. This isn't just some man-made tradition. This is something that Jesus instructed and instituted for us, not only for his disciples, but for those that come after him to take communion often. And this is why Jesus was the only way to save us. That through all this, this, this blood of animals, and, and it speaks about this in Hebrews, but this was only a temporary thing. This, this couldn't deal with the eternal weight of sin. This couldn't deal with the root issue of making us right of God, making us born again, of setting us free. That this was just a temporary cleansing, but there had to become an eternal cleansing. There had to be a new birth. There had to become a new birth, and through that, we needed Jesus who came as the last Adam, when the first Adam's sin came, when the, the last Adam righteousness came, true righteousness. And this is why Jesus and the blood is essential. It says in, in Colossians 2.17, one of my favorite verses, it says, these, speaking of the old covenant, it says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You know, the New Living Translation says this, it says, that, you know, these are shadows of a reality to come, but Christ himself is that reality. That Jesus is our reality today. That when we speak about Jesus, this isn't a, a vain thing, this isn't some new concept, this isn't some a, a new initiative that we've come up with. There is substance in it. There is a reality to Jesus that carries far more weight than anything else. That Christ himself is our reality. And that's why we need the pure gospel and communion today. That's why the gospel of Jesus is essential in the church today and in preaching today and in our worship today. You know, in all those songs, we are singing about God. We are singing about the Lord Jesus. And, and communion, this is why it's so essential today to get back to the, the institutions that Jesus himself set and, and the very 
anchor the very foundation of our faith, where true life is. And it's a pattern throughout the whole Bible. And this is the pure gospel. This isn't one that we add to or dilute. This isn't one that we change or we make relevant or we adapt. But this is about Jesus. This is about all of Jesus. And for too long now, in, especially in the Western world, we've made it about other things. We've changed the definition of church. We've changed the definition of the gospel. We've made church about us. We've made the songs about us. We've made ministries for us. We've made the service to suit us. We've made all of these things around us. And the substance that is Christ Jesus is, is ripped out. It is like you have a shell and, and you, you, have, you have something and you've ripped the thing out of the shell. And you're just left with an empty shell. And it just becomes vanity. You think it, sound, it might sound better. It might, it, might be, it might fit into your routine a bit more. It might, it might help, but it doesn't bring any life to it. In it, there is no life. There is no transformation because without Jesus... Without the blood of Jesus, without the gospel, there is no life. There is no substance to it. It's like ordering, it's like, I don't know, it's like going to a restaurant and ordering shellfish, but then actually having none of the fish inside. It looks good, it looks the part. You've gone out to the restaurant, you've done the thing, but it hasn't fixed the core issue. You're still hungry. It hasn't done anything for the soul. You're left, you, you've, gone, you've left church exactly the way as you've come in. You're walking the Christian life just as you did before Christ Jesus, before you accepted. There's no, no change in your life at all. It's as if Jesus never even came into your heart. It's, it's as if nothing has changed. No one would know anything different about you because it's without Jesus. And the gospel without Jesus is just an empty message. It's just vanity and there is no substance to it, like Colossians says. And that's why it's so essential for the blood of Jesus to be preached, even though it is a a heavy thing. Sometimes you'll even hear in songs today that the blood of Jesus is just never spoken about. It sometimes it is a, it is a conf confrontational message. It is a, sometimes it is a gruesome message. It is a very violent message, the, the gospel, that God sent his son down and, and we crucified him. That Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. It is a, it is a sobering message at the least. It is a powerful message, but in it there is great power that without the blood of Jesus, without communion, without the body of Jesus, without what he has done at the cross, it is just a, I suppose it's just a message on nice life application, how to do life a little bit better. There's no power on how to live that life. It might work for a couple of weeks, and then you're stuck in the same trap and the same cycle. You're just trying to do you a bit better. But at the end of the day, without Jesus, there is no substance behind it. And that is what we need today, and that is why... Communion is so essential in that. That Calvary and the gospel of Jesus and Christ and him crucified is continually preached because in it, there, there lies the life. There lies the, like Tom was preaching last week, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the how needs to become a who again. Not how to live the Christian life, but who enables me to live the Christian life? Who empowers me? to live the Christian life? Who empowers me to set me free from sin and from darkness and from bondage? It's not the how anymore, but it is a who. It is Jesus Christ. And today we have communion, and there is great power in it today, and communion is a, is a symbol, and it's a, it is going through, really, literally going through what Christ did at Calvary. 
You are going through everything that he endured and, and what he did for our sake and what he has set us free from today. And, it, and when we take communion and we take it in sincerity, it, it is a powerful thing. And it has real power in it today. It's real life. That's why Jesus was so, so heavy on this, so keen on this. It, said, it even says in Luke, we won't go there, but it says, like, with fervent desire, I've desired to have this with you. With absolute desire, before I go to the cross... I want to make sure that we mandate this communion, that this is something you take with you and that you do often. So if we want to, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I just want to read about this communion that we're going to take later. But in this, in this communion, in, this, in what Jesus has done, is the great remedy for our life, that... I'm not coming up here to say that you need to, to do better. I'm not up here to, to say this, but I'm saying that we need to, to go to the one, to lift up our heads, to go to the one that, that truly brings life to us, to Jesus Christ, that he is the great remedy. He is the great one that washes out every single sin and stain and, and is the one that truly transforms us to deliver us from that and deliver us from darkness or from the things of this world, or the things that in our old life, when he took our place. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read from verses 23 to 26. And it says here, it says, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. But on the same night that he was about to be betrayed, he gives us the, the wonderful communion, this, this life that we have day in, this daily remembrance and, this, and this, this great power that comes to us when we take part in communion and we do it in sincerity and knowing what it truly means today. That he, his own body and his own blood, he, he laid down for us. And you know, this, the end of this passage is always one that has struck with me when it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, that's something that's always stuck out to me. I thought if, if I was writing the Bible, I probably wouldn't write it like that. And thank goodness I wouldn't. But if someone else, I think if 99% of Christians were writing the Bible, they wouldn't say you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You'd say, I don't know, he's proclaiming the Lord's life, you're proclaiming the Lord's resurrection, which is all amazing things, but why, why are you proclaiming the death of Jesus when we take communion? It's because when we are proclaiming the death of Jesus, we're proclaiming what died with him. You know, when Christ died on that cross, it was a death to our own unrighteousness. It was a death to our own sin. It was a death to the, the separation, that very enmity that God spoke about in Genesis 3 that was between us and Jesus. That has been, that dies. The, our old ways, our old nature, 
everything that was about us, that all dies at the cross with him. It says in Colossians that all of this was nailed to the cross, all the judgment, everything from God that, that was rightly put upon us, this all gets nailed and dies at the cross. And when we are taking communion, we are celebrating in the fact that all of these things die, die at the cross, that this no longer lives in us. And there is great power in that, that all that we deserved, all that we were bound by, everything that empowered us, everything that, well, not empowered us, but everything that we were subject to, everything that we felt will hold, held us down or, or bound us or we were stuck in these cycles or these ways where we felt there was no way out, that all of that dies at the cross. And as often as we take communion, we are proclaiming, we are boldly proclaiming that that all dies that that all dies, that there is a new way, there is new life that is found in Jesus. And like God said, that he shall crush his head and you shall bruise his heel, that, the, that Satan and the power of darkness, that death and sin is crushed by the head through the gospel, through Calvary. It's a wonderful gospel that we have. And this is spoken of again in the Old Testament. You see the story with, with Abraham and with his son Isaac. Again, they are going up the mountain when God says to give me your only son. And Isaac is carrying the wood upon his back, speaking like Jesus, who carries the cross upon his back, goes up. And then when Isaac says, what is the sacrifice? Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb. And when Jesus comes and John the Baptist sees him for who he is, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That this going to Calvary was not, a, was not something that God was unaware of. This was not something that had to be thrown about at the last minute. That this was something that God knew from the beginning and he ordained from the beginning. That through death, he has conquered death. That's what the early church used to say. It was one of the Amazing things, I remember seeing this once. They used to sing, they said, through death, you have conquered death. That Jesus, through your very dying, through your very death on the tree, you have conquered death. Through the bruising of your heel, you have crushed his head. If you go here to, to John chapter 6, I just want to read verses 53 to 58. I just wanted to touch on a few major points. You know, communion is a, a powerful thing, but obviously it is amazing as a remembrance act. It brings us back to what our faith is all about. It brings us back to the gospel. It brings us back to the very life that we have today, the reason why we are free, the reason we can be empowered today, tomorrow, for all eternity, to live this Christian life free from sin, free from darkness, free from the enemy. But it is not just a remembrance act that communion has great power in it as well. It has great power for today and every day that you, that you take it and you take it in, in sincerity and in, in understanding it. But when you are taking it, there is great power today as well. It is not just a remembrance act. And it says here in John 6 verses 53, this is Jesus speaking. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came, which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. You know, this is a very confrontational and, and a, a real gruesome and a, and a violent message that Jesus brings, that he isn't one to kind of, he's not trying to fluff the words, he's not trying to, give, you know, try and make it easy. He's telling you the, the full gospel message. And obviously when we come to communion, we're not literally eating his flesh, we're not literally drinking his blood, but this is, a, this is the great symbol of what Christ had to do. That Jesus had to pour out his blood, that he had to lay down his own body. And it is through the body and the blood of Jesus that we have life, and we have the life of Christ. It says here, it says there in verse 57, it says, he who feeds on me will live because of me. And that feeds, that is a... As a continual feeding, that is, that is present continual, that keeps going. That speaks of the very life of Jesus, sustaining and, and being the source of your own life as you are feeding upon him. And again, this isn't a literal feeding on the body of Jesus, but in this communion, it is more than just a remembrance, it is more than just something that happened 2,000 years ago and that we say thank you for, but it is the very life source that we have today. How do we live the Christian life? It is through Jesus, through his blood and through his body. And that when we are taking communion, we are lit. he who feeds on me will live because of me. The very life of Jesus becomes our life. The very life where I've had this, where years ago we go, how do I escape this? How do I get out of this cycle of sin? How do I get out of feeling this way or acting this way or doing this or doing that? How do I escape these thoughts? How do I escape the... I know, the health or financial or all these difficulties. And it comes through the life of Jesus. The answer is Jesus and his blood and his body that we have today. And without the, without the blood of Jesus, there is no covenant. There is no relationship with God. There is no anything. That's why it says in Romans 5, it says that we were once enemies. We were once enemies and we have been brought back. We're not children of God without what Jesus did at the cross. It's through what Jesus has done that we have life. And this communion that we take part in, that we will do in a minute, this doesn't have to be something you have to wait for to do at church. It doesn't have to be something that we do once a month and that you come here and you do it here, that you can take part in communion at home. You can take, you can take communion, it can just be between you and God. It can be with you and your family or with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents. That This can be something you actively take part in whenever you want. This doesn't have to be limited to when we're all together. There is great power in communion, and God invites us to regularly do this. This doesn't have to wait, but there is truly, can't say it enough, there is a great power that comes through taking communion and taking it often. That In that, you are coming back to the gospel, you are coming back to Jesus, and you are, like Jesus said there, you are feeding upon him. That his life is becoming your life. That he is doing a work in your heart, he is molding you and transforming you into the image of his son. And there is great power in it. And that's why it is more than just, you know, Jesus didn't give the community, he didn't say, you know, take it and think about it. He said, take it and eat it, take it and drink it. That in doing this, it is, it is, an, active, it is an active thing that we do when we take communion. And in doing that, we are partaking and we are uniting ourselves with Jesus Christ.
the Messiah. And it is so important. And it's one of the, the amazing, one of the most amazing ways you can even pray is to take communion. You know, when you are taking communion, when you are coming before God, you are coming before God in probably the most holy and righteous way you can possibly come before the Lord. You are coming before him not based on who you are, not based on what you've done, not based on your track record or your history. You're coming to Jesus in humility, in sincerity, and in the meekness, knowing that I'm coming to you fully in Christ Jesus and in what he has done. You're not declaring what you are doing. You're declaring the blood and the body of Jesus that speaks a better word. That when you come in communion before the Lord, in, when your heart is right, that you are, this is one of the, the most amazing ways that you can even pray before the Lord because you're coming in the fullness of Christ Jesus and what he has done and the very life that he has today. You come to Jesus knowing that we haven't paved our own way to salvation we haven't torn the veil for ourselves. We haven't reconciled ourselves with, with God, but that Jesus has won this great victory for us. That he has won this great victory for us. That the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And it is marvelous in our eyes that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and we come before God in the fullness of Christ and what he has done. In, through his body, through his blood, through his will and his purpose. And this is where, and even when we take communion, part of this, this is one of the great keys to the Christian life that even Paul talks about. He says in 2 Corinthians, when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I'll gladly boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, when you're saying communion, it's not like sometimes we go to God and we pray and we're wearing a mask. We are trying to justify what we've done, we're trying, to, we're trying to compare ourselves, or everything we do is relative or ba based on other people or other things or situations or circumstance. But when you are coming in communion, you are coming in the, the fullness of Christ. This is not about you anymore. You're not coming trying to justify yourself or trying to try and get a blessing from God because you've done X, Y, and Z, or you're trying to manipulate God to to have favor upon you, but you are coming knowing that it is Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's what Paul said. He says, you know, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am coming in Christ Jesus, not in my own strengths, not trying to big, you know, amplify what I have done, or I'm trying to justify or rationalize my actions, when I come in Christ Jesus, then the power of Christ lays upon me. You may be here today, you may be stuck, you may be bound in sin or in darkness or in, you may have, it might be physical illness, it might be mental illness, it might be circumstance, people coming against you, it might be a million other things that you may be coming against you, but when you are coming in communion, you are coming in the meekness and humility of Christ, and it says there that I'll gladly boast of my weaknesses, I'll gladly come before God, not talking about myself, not bringing up my own self, but coming in Christ, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And in that, we have great victory. In that, you take communion like that. You come praying before God in, in thanking God for Jesus, magnifying Jesus, and you'll see the power of Christ upon you, changing the way you live, transforming you, transforming your mind, your, your heart, even the very the motives of you will start changing. And all these things that are coming against you, the power of Christ comes upon you when you come in meekness, when you come in the fullness of the blood and the body of Jesus, when you come in communion, 
in all these things, the power of Christ is made available to us. This is not just for salvation, as amazing as this is. This is the blood of Jesus is for the Christian life continually today. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.